what are we doing today? Well, if you've been reading our daily Bible plan, um, so all of our preachers on Sundays kind of line up roughly with what we're reading in the Bible as a church each day throughout the week. Um, and so if, you, if you've been reading our Bible plan, you know that you've been hanging out in the Psalms uh, for a little while. And we actually took all of, all of August just to hang out on Sundays in Mark's Gospel because there's only 16 chapters and we would have done it in two weeks. And that's not a lot of time to go through the Gospel of Mark. So we decided to extend our Sundays with that. So we're playing a little bit of catch up today. Don't worry, I'm not going to do all of them. But I'm, um, we started in Psalm 77 recently. And we're up into the hundreds now, but, um, but today I'm going to be hanging out in Psalm 90. So if you want to take your Bible and open to Psalm 90, I think what we'll do is we'll start just by reading the psalm together. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it is going to come up on the screen. But if you'd like uh, a paper Bible, there are some at the back that you can go grab and feel free to do that uh, as well. So here we go, Psalm 90. Everybody got it? Yeah, lovely. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. You, uh, yet, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up, but by the evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due, uh, that, that you, sorry, let me start that line again. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're a God that speaks. Thank you that when you speak, there's life. And we pray today, bring life to this place. Speak to us, Lord. No matter how we've come into this place today, no matter what we've been carrying, no matter what our eyes have been fixed on, no matter what has been consuming our thoughts, Lord, I pray that all of that would just be still now and that your spirit would speak to us through your word. This we ask in your name, Jesus. 
Amen. Oh, funny, isn't it, when you're reading the Bible and then you go to read what you think is there, not what is really there. Anybody else do that from time to time? Ah, oh, you know, you're so used to certain phrases and verses that you just start reading them where they're not written. So uh, I'll try not to do that for the rest of the sermon. Um, but yeah, so Psalm 90, interesting psalm. The context of the psalm, what is the context? The context of the psalm, I believe, as you look through the psalm, uh, there are a few things that jump out that I think give the context. But verse 13, relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. And verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. What is the context of this psalm? Trouble, affliction, difficulty. The context of this psalm is this. Sometimes life is awful. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life hurts. Sometimes life is heavy. Some of you are going through stuff right now and you're thinking, yes, Matt, the words you're using are not strong enough to describe what life is sometimes like but I'm stood on stage in church, so I'm going to be good and not say certain words that will get me in trouble. <laughs> but sometimes life is just, isn't it? Isn't it? And some of you aren't feeling that right now. Some of you are up on cloud nine and things have been great, but you've been in that place before. And you know that probably at some point you'll be in that place again, because sometimes life is rubbish. It's rubbish. And I think probably as I was praying through this and just spending some time in this this week, I just felt like God was saying to me, there are some of us in this church right now, and, and we are feeling this. We're like, God, this is what I feel. Like, life is hard. Life is rubbish. And then there's this little niggling question in the back of your mind. How can I be feeling this and still say that I believe in God? I still believe that he is good. I still believe that he is faithful. How is it that I feel this and I say this and do I, is this true for me? I'm wrestling with that. I want to tell you today that if that is how you're feeling, then you're in really, really good company. One, because probably most of the other people in this room have felt that at some point. And two, because Moses, the man of God, felt that. Right? Moses, the man of God, is the writer of this psalm. And some of you in your Bibles, uh, the verse 1 starts with, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. But just above that, in italics, is this little bit in my Bible. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And, and that's not just a title that the editors have put in to help you out. If you go back to the original Hebrew text, you'll find that is actually in the Hebrew text. So in some of the older versions of the Bible and in the Hebrew scrolls, that's part of verse 1. Verse 1 of Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord. And then it goes on. Moses, the man of God, writes this. We've known trouble and affliction and difficulty and hardship. Moses, the man of God, struggled with these things. And you might think, well, yeah, that's great, Matt, but I'm no Moses. And I reckon that if you asked Moses, and you, if you told Moses all about this great man of God, but didn't tell him it was Moses, I think Moses would say, I'm, I'm, I'm no that guy. <laughs> I think 
We'd all probably say that. And yet, this is what Moses wrote. Moses went through some awful stuff. And you think, well, I've read the story of Moses, and it's an epic story. And it is an epic story. But do you know why it's so epic? Because there were so many trials, so many difficulties, so many things that he wrestled with and were hard. And so I want to pull out a few things from this psalm about some of the hardships that Moses went through. Because some of you are sat there thinking, yeah, but Moses never went through what I'm going through. Moses didn't face the the struggles and the things that I am struggling with. But Moses went through so much. So first up, let me me pull this thing out. Uh, Who in their Bible, above Psalm 90, who can see it says book four? Yeah, maybe in Roman numerals, this is book four. That's interesting. What's that to do with? Well, the Psalms are broken up into five books. Okay, and each of the five books, it mirrors... The five books of the Pentateuch, or the the Torah, Moses, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so when they got taken off into captivity, uh, it's believed that most of the Israelites didn't have their scriptures. And so they pulled together all the Psalms, and they ordered them in such a way that they reflect the books of Moses to tell the story of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and and Deuteronomy. So if you read Psalm 1, you'll start reading about a garden and a tree and rivers, and you're like, oh, that sounds like Genesis 1, right? Book 1 mirrors Genesis. So book 4, which is where we are now, mirrors the, the book that we call Numbers. Uh, but if you are a Hebrew, you call it I don't know if I'm going to say this properly, but you call it uh, Bimidbar, Bimidbar, something like that. That's the Hebrew name for numbers. And it doesn't translate into the English as numbers. It translates into the English as in the wilderness. See, we think, oh, the book of numbers, that's all about this big, long list of numbers and all the people. That's only a small part of the book of numbers. The, the, most, uh, the, the, the biggest section of numbers is all about their journey through the wilderness. So in, in Exodus, they come out of Egypt, they get to Mount Sinai, and they hang out at Mount Sinai for a year. And then Leviticus is also about their time at Mount Sinai. And then we get to Numbers, and the journey of 40 years through the wilderness begins. Numbers is the story of the wilderness journey before they get into the promised land. And so book four is all about their journey through the wilderness. Challenge number one that Moses had. He was the leader of a group of people that he led out of what was, well, it was slavery, but they were quite comfortable if you listen to them. We had cucumbers in Egypt. We had this in Egypt. Take us back to Egypt, Moses. He led these people out of what seemed quite comfortable into a desert. And then discovered they were going to spend 40 years wandering around this desert on a journey that should have taken them eight days. Moses had his challenges. Moses had his challenges. Things didn't go the way that Moses hoped they would go. Who feels like that sometimes? Things don't go the way I hope that they would go. Moses can relate. Moses had his challenges. This is what this book is mirroring. This psalm is taking us back there. Uh, verse 2, he talks about the mountains. And I was thinking, oh, man. Like he's written that in this psalm in like a really positive way. You were there before the mountains, but the mountains are there now, Lord. <laughs> and the mountains are high, and they're big, and they're in our way. And we have to wander through all these spaces. And uh, if you follow the story of Moses through Exodus and and Leviticus and Numbers, you'll see that Moses multiple times had to go up and down mountains. I don't know if you realize this, but by the time Moses was doing this, he was in his 80s, maybe 90s. He was getting on a bit, right? 
And he was up and down, up and down the mountain. He'd go up the mountain to meet with the Lord. He'd come back down again, and the people had screwed everything up. And in a fit of rage, he smashed the tablets and then was like, oh, I've got to go back up the mountain. And he went back up again and then back down again and up again and down again. And Moses was up and down this mountain who feels like sometimes in your life you've just got these physical challenges that you're up and down, up and down, constantly having to overcome physical stuff. Well, my body can't take any more of this. Moses went through some of that. That was a struggle for him. Verse 3, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Death and loss was a reality for Moses. Death and loss was a reality for Moses. He led these people out of, of Egypt into the wilderness. And one of the first stories I've mentioned it already is the story of of the golden calf, right? Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. Down at the bottom of the mountain, the people start worshiping a golden calf. Moses comes down the mountain and realizes what's going on. And the result of that story is that 3,000 Israelites die. 3,000 die under the care of Moses. Death was a reality for him. You get into to Leviticus, and it's not just, oh, these disconnected 3,000 people that surely Moses didn't know each of them by name, but it becomes really personal because Moses' nephews, the sons of his brother Aaron, they go and do something stupid in the tabernacle and they die. They die. Death and loss was a struggle for Moses. Verses four and five. A thousand years in your sight, or like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. I was thinking about this verse. And I was thinking just about how you ever get to the end of the day, and you're like, man, I feel like I've lived a thousand years in this one day. Like so much has happened, I can't even remember it all. Sometimes we travel through our day, and our day just feels like worry and anxiety and stress. So much. Too much to think about. Too much to remember. Too much has happened in this day. Talks about the watch of the night. Imagine for a moment that you're Moses or you're one of the Israelites back then and you've come out of Egypt, which, well, it was slavery, was protection, right? There's this army that protects you and looks after you and you live in their land and you get fed by them and you come out of that and you're in the wilderness living in tents. There's no war around your camp. You just live in tents in the middle of nowhere and in the watch of the night. You've got these people over here that you've just fled from who want to kill you. And then all these other tribes around that are really worried about you and probably want to kill you too. And so in the watch of the night, you are like, is that, is that, is that someone coming to get us? Is that, oh no, that's just a shadow on the mountain. Is that? And sometimes life feels like that. You spend your nights just worrying about what is coming. What can't I see in the darkness? What can't I see around the corner? What is coming? Moses experienced that, that anxiety, that worry, that not knowing what is next or who is out there, who wants to get you. Verse 6 says, in the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Sometimes just the effects of the day knock us for six, right? You get home after work and there was that 
thing that happened and that person that said this and that other thing that didn't happen. And, and you get to the end of the day and you're like, I am done. I am done. You know, in Hebrew, the word day literally comes from a root word that means heat. Heat, that's what it means. Because where they were, it wasn't like lovely England where it rains all the time. <laughs> and we have the green, green grass. Where they were, it was dry and it was barren and it was hot. It was hot. So their word for day meant heat. You get to the end of the day sometimes, you feel like, man, I am burnt by the heat. This day has just worn me out, has exhausted me. The struggle is real. Verse 7 and 8, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Sometimes, sometimes the struggle for us is the fact that because we're Christians and because I think we haven't fully understood the gospel, we actually end up struggling with our own faith because we're like, is God going to punish me because I did that? Is God going to punish me because I said that? Is, and we start worrying about our own sins. And we, Is God angry at me? I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but I wonder how many of you have ever asked that. Does God hate me right now because I have done boom, boom, boom? That was real for them. The reason that Moses went back up and down the mountain so many times sometimes was, was to say, God, please don't be angry with us. Please don't wipe us out. But when he gets up the mountain, do you know what God says to him? He declares his name and he says, my name is Yahweh. And I am a compassionate and gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Sometimes we as Christians, we forget that about our God. And I'm not saying go sin and do what you like because God doesn't care because he does. He does. And sin's a big thing. We'll talk about that in a moment. But knowing who he is and what his heart is like is also really important. And sometimes I think I've been in services and I know other Christians and I myself have journeyed stuff where we get worried as Christians because we doubt what our God is really like because of our sinful nature. And that causes us worry. We struggle with that. Who's feeling cheery? Anyone? <laughs> Don't worry. We're, we're going to turn it around in a minute. Is that all right? Just, just want to get you all down low first before I try and pick you back up. All right. Uh, last one. Last, last struggle. All right. And then we'll ditch the struggles. You're getting it. All right. Moses knew the struggle. Okay. He knew the struggle. Last one. Verse 9 and 10. I love this one. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. I really want to make some cheeky comment about moany old people, but I won't, I won't. I love all of you, and I moan as a young I'm not actually that young anymore, but Max keeps calling me a young person. I'm 38 now, guys. Come on, I'm not a young person anymore. But um, I, uh, I moan just as much. I moan just as much as the next person. Um, <clears throat> uh, verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. Anybody feel like that? Like, man, I really want to live a nice long life, but the longer life goes on, the more trouble and sorrow there seems to be, right? Like, and the moaning becomes more. Old age, it, 
it in itself is a struggle sometimes, isn't it? Preach, Max. <laughs> but it gets us. It takes us. I find it funny because it takes us by surprise. We all know it's coming. But somehow we're all a bit shocked when it gets there, right? How did I get to this point where I can't do all these things with my body anymore? Like, and, and the struggle is real. And we're like, take me now, Lord. Renew my body. The struggle was real for Moses. You know, when he met God at the burning bush, he was already 80 before he'd even led the people out of Egypt. And then when he eventually dies, he's 120. 40 more years. <laughs> Max doesn't want to live that long. <clears throat> Part of me wants to just get all of us together just to pray that Max lives to 120, just because just it'll be fun to see. What, no, I'm joking. Let's not do that. Not that I don't want you around, Max, but um, yeah, yeah. The struggle's real, guys, isn't it? You, you're with me, yeah? The struggle is real. Like, we all know it in different ways. We all experience hardship. Sometimes life is rubbish. Sometimes life is rubbish. Why? I need to pick up the pace, sorry. Why, why is life rubbish? Um, I'm going to be really honest with you. It is because of sin. All right? That's why life is rubbish. Sin is the problem. Um, and this psalm picks it out. It picks it out in uh, verse 8. Um, and it says, all of our sins, secret sins are in the light of your presence. In verse 3, where it says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Verse 3, it is a quote from Genesis 3.19. And watch Genesis 3.19. Genesis 3.19 is the curse or the result that is spoken out because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And because of Adam and Eve, what does God say? He says, you're going to die and life's going to be hard and it's going to impact the world around you as well. It, not just you, but the world around you and it's going to be hard. And why? Because of sin. The Bible tells us all sin leads to death. All sin leads to death. And, and hear me say this now. For those of you that are going through difficult things, hear what I'm not saying. I am not telling you that your difficult situation is the result of your personal sin. Okay? Please don't walk out of here thinking, Matt's told me that I've caused all this stuff for myself. I'm not telling you that. Sin has a ripple effect. And the, the ripple effect of the sin of Adam and Eve, we still feel today. Their sin impacts us as does the sin of the previous generation, as will your sin impact the next generation and the generation after that. Sometimes our sins, they hurt us, they impact us, they cause bits of our joy and peace to be robbed and to die, and we experience a bit of death in our own lives. But also, your sin bubbles out and affects the people around you, and it also impacts the physical world around you as well. And the sin of other people impacts you. Sin is a problem in our world. And it is a problem that Jesus has dealt with on the cross, but the fullness of his solution has not yet been seen by us. One day when he comes again and he restores heaven and earth and makes all things new and there is no sin, suffering, sorrow, sadness, sickness, at that point we will see the impact of it. But right now we still live in a world that is impacted by sin. That's just the truth. That's it. Sin causes all these things. It is a problem. So what do we do? What do we do? This is the bit we want now, Matt. Come on, lift us up. What do we do about the fact that we live in a world where sin impacts us and causes all kinds of struggles? Well, like I said, Psalm 90 mirrors book four 
of the Pentateuch, of the books of Moses. And book four of the Pentateuch, like I said, is numbers. And it's about them being in the wilderness. Wilderness is a difficult place to be. They're in the midst of this desert, in the midst of this struggle. But what's amazing is this. Numbers chapter 1 verse 1 begins like this. In our English Bible, it says that the Lord met Moses in the tent of meeting. So in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the barren place, in the middle of the difficulty, in the midst of the struggle, the Lord met with Moses in the tent of meeting. And this psalm starts by saying, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our tabernacle, our tent. You have been our dwelling place through all generations, through all generations. You've always been the place where we could hide, where we could take refuge, where we could dwell. Uh, Think about that word for a moment. You have been our dwelling place through all generations. He's not just talking about him, but about the generations that came before, about those that were in Egypt, in slavery. That generation, God was their dwelling. The generation now, as he speaks, in the midst of the wilderness, God would be their dwelling place. They're not just dwelling in the wilderness, they can dwell in him. All the way back, all the way back, you can trace the story. And again and again and again, God has been the dwelling place of his people. The word generation here in the Hebrew is the word door, uh, D-O-R. And it's different to the word generation that I told you about in previous weeks. Um, This word generations, it literally literally can mean generation or an age, but it also can be translated as dwelling. That's interesting, isn't it? Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all dwelling places. Wherever we've been, wherever we've been hanging out, whatever we've been in, you have always been our dwelling place. Oh, that's good news. Whatever you're in, God can be your dwelling place. God can be your dwelling place. The New Testament tells us that we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Those who believe in Jesus, God has come to dwell in you, to tabernacle in you, to make you the place that he hangs out. He is with you in all dwelling places. I want to tell you something else about that real quickly, a little side note for you. But when it says that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell in you, in the New Testament, the word you It doesn't just mean you as an individual. Matt, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Yes, that is true. He does dwell in me, and he dwells in you who believe as well. But that word you in in the Greek is plural you. If we were American, we'd say y'all, all right? God has come to make his dwelling place in y'all, all right, in all of you. And, And it means collectively, together. And that means this. That means that when we come together as his people, God is in our midst. He's here. That means that if you want to experience God, you can. He is with you all the time. I promise you that, right? But there's something about gathering with Yal, with his people, where you can find him even more. And so if you are going through a difficult time right now, let me encourage you, please do not hide yourself away. Get together with the people of God. Hang out with the people that still see him clearly so that you also can experience that through them. Because as you come together, the Holy Spirit makes Yul his temple, right? He wants to hang out with you, but you will experience him more if you're part 
of the body, if you're connected, the blood will flow. Okay? Um, in, uh, in Psalm 91, which we haven't got time to read the whole of it, but if you want to flick over to the next page, Psalm 91 talks about people who dwell in the Lord. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And then it goes on to talk about all these amazing things that happen when you dwell in Him, when you dwell in Him. But I I love this. This jumped out at me. Verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Jump down to verse 9 of Psalm 91. And it says, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling. And then it goes on to unpack what will happen for you if you say that. And you know what really struck me about that? These two verses, it talks about speaking it out, saying it, declaring it. You see, you don't have to feel it for it to be true. And I just want to put this out there because we live in in a time where feelings are king. If you feel it, it is true. If you feel it, it's your truth. Go for it. Live it out or whatever. And I believe that feelings are leading more and more and more of us away from life and hope and peace. Because feelings are fleeting. They're up and down. They come and go. They're not eternal. But there is an eternal truth. There is an eternal truth. And there is an eternal God. And we're told in Psalm 91 that if we declare this, then he will be our dwelling. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting. It's not about your feelings. Faith, Hebrews 1 tells us that faith is the evidence of things unseen. Unseen. I don't see it right now, Matt. I don't feel it right now. How can it be true? Because faith tells us it is true. You might not see it right now, but it is true. And you declare that it is the truth. Because when you speak it out and you declare it, you give your great amen to what the word of God says. And you say, I might not see it, but I'm in. And I'm trusting you, Jesus. Because I trust that you're the one who's over it all. And I make you my dwelling. I make you my dwelling. Um, we were reading last Tuesday, I went to visit one of the home groups, and if you were reading the thing, you would have read in Psalm 114 verse 2, it says that Judah has become his dwelling. And the word Judah, in Hebrew, it means praise. Praise has become his dwelling. Praise is not about how you feel. Praise is declaration. Declaration. When I declare this, God takes me at my word, and he comes and he inhabits it. Why does he take me at my word when I declare it? Because when he speaks, he means it. And so he trusts it. When we speak, we mean it too. When we declare it, he comes. You need to declare the eternal truth over that which is momentary. Declare the eternal truth over that which is momentary. Speak out the word of God that does not fail. We make him our dwelling. We make him our dwelling. How do we make him our dwelling? I want you to cast your eyes down to verse 12, where it says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Um, In the Hebrew, the word order is like this. It says, to number our days, so teach us that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To number our days, so teach us that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, The word in Hebrew, to number, it literally means to count or to weigh or to set, or to prepare. 
Okay, do you see that? To, to count something out, to weigh it, to set or to prepare it. Okay. The word day, we talked about this word already, but it can mean a dwelling. You go all the way back to, to Genesis when God created the days and he gave the Sabbath day as a space in time where he would dwell with his people. So a day is our dwelling. Um, and the word to teach is actually in the Hebrew. It's, I love this word. I've banged on about it a lot last year. It's the word yada. It means to have knowledge, to have intimate knowledge. In fact, it's used in Genesis to talk about Adam and Eve having sex with each other. They intimately knew each other. Yada. The word heart, that we may gain a heart, the word heart, it literally means the very core of who a person is, the essence of who that person is. So this verse is telling us this. It's telling us to, to prepare, to prepare our day or our space, our dwelling, so that we can intimately know the very person who is wisdom. You get that? Let me say that one more time. This verse is telling us, it's telling us to prepare, to set up, to prepare, to count out, to set it out, to prepare our day, our dwelling space, that we might intimately know the person who himself is wisdom. What does it look like to prepare or set up a dwelling space where someone can intimately know the very person himself who is wisdom. Well, it's all over the Bible, guys. In Genesis chapter 1, when God uh, creates, he creates seven days. He creates seven days. And, and on day one, he separates light and darkness. Some of us, we need to start with day one, and we need to separate light and darkness. Some of us need to look at the things in our life, and, and we need to go, that is good, that is not good. And we need to recognize it and call it what it is. There are things in our lives that we need to call them what they are. But God creates these seven days. And in the midst of these seven days, he speaks ten times. And at the end of these seven days where he has spoken ten times, you can track this through in Genesis 1, then God said, then God said, then God said, then God said, ten times. At the end of these seven days where God has spoken ten times, there is a dwelling place where God and man dwell together called Eden. Oh, there's a dwelling place. God creates these days that he speaks into that results in a dwelling place for God and man. In the story of Exodus, God calls the people out of Egypt. He separates what is good and what is not good. He separates the people, brings them into freedom from slavery, light and darkness. Do you see that? And in the story of Exodus, there's the creation of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And if you look at the story, you'll see that there are seven stages to God creating the tabernacle. Seven stages to God creating the tabernacle. Also in the story of Exodus, God speaks ten times. We call them the ten commandments. But literally the Hebrew means ten speeches. And so God separates light and darkness and he creates seven stages or seven days that he speaks into ten times. And the end result is what? A tent, a dwelling place where God and man can dwell together. His heart is always to create something where we can dwell together. How does that happen? It happens by numbering the days and by God speaking into them. 
by God speaking into them. How do we prepare our day, our dwelling place, so that we can encounter the one who himself is wisdom, so that we can journey with him through the struggles? We start by preparing our day with his word, with his word. God's word helps to create the very space that God wants to come and feel so that he can meet with you, so that he can meet with you. Matthew 7, 24 to 27, Jesus talks about these two men. We call them the wise man and the foolish man. <laughs> and the wise man, he builds his house upon the rock. And the foolish man builds his house upon the stand, sand. And when the storm comes, which it will, the, the foolish man's house is washed away. But the wise man's house stays firm. And Jesus says this. He says, the one who hears my word and obeys it, puts it into action, is like the man who built his house on the rock. How do we build a secure dwelling place where we can meet with God? We hear the word and we put it into action. We hear the word and we put it into action. Uh, guys, I want to ask you this as we come into land. What are you building? What does your dwelling place, your tabernacle, your tent look like? Have you even started to assemble a tent? <laughs> what does it look like? What space are you creating in your life for God, for the one who is wisdom himself, to come and to meet with you? What space are you making? Because I tell you now, it is his heart to meet with you. He wants to meet with you. Are you building that space according to the blueprints of the word of God? Or are you building that space according to the blueprints that you picked up from your best friend, from social media, from school, from people in your office, from just the things you see in the world around you? How are you building that space for God to come and dwell with you? The, the psalm ends in verse 17 by saying, may the favor or the goodness, the grace of God rest on us. And then it says, Lord, establish the work of our hands. I've said it a few times, but this psalm is all about book four. It's about numbers. And numbers starts with God meeting Moses in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle. And, and the Bible describes it like this, that God came down and filled the tabernacle. And Moses went in to meet with him. He rested on it. And Moses went in to meet with him. And you know that tabernacle was built because the people brought all kinds of things to build it together. And so let me ask you again, what are you building? Is it a space that God can come and rest upon and meet with you? When they say, Lord, uh, when they say establish the work of our hands, they're not saying, oh, God, we had this really great idea. Um, we'd like to renovate our church building, and we'd love this to happen. Or, God, we had this, I had this great idea. I, I was thinking that maybe I could apply for this job or go and do this. God, come and establish the work of my hands. That's not what they're asking. They're saying, Lord, establish the work of our hands, and that is a reference to the space that they're building to meet with him. God, come and dwell in us. Come and rest upon us. Come and meet with us. I'm, I'm giving everything to you. Come and meet with me. Come and meet with me. You're the one I need above all other things. So guys, 
this world is rubbish. And it's going to be until he comes again. It's not going to get better. Scripture tells us it's actually going to get worse. It's actually going to get worse until he comes again. But he wants to dwell with you in the midst of the wilderness. If only you would build a space in your life for him to come and rest upon. And no matter what you face, no matter what struggle you are going through, no matter what difficulty you are facing, the one who is himself wisdom wants to come and allow you to dwell in him and to learn from him so that he can guide you and walk you through this life until he comes again. That's the hope, right? That's the hope. Things are going to be rubbish. But we have the one who is going to do something about all of that dwelling with us. How much space are you giving to him in your life? How much space are you giving to him in your life? The Bible says that the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, that the word, the good news about Jesus, is the power for salvation. It is the power for salvation. You want to know salvation, which, by the way, that word salvation, it can, it can, mean, it can mean wholeness and healing. You, you want to know that in your life? Then the gospel, the word, the truth about Jesus is the power for that. Nothing else. Nothing else. Just that. The Bible tells us this as well. It says that you will know a really warm, lovely welcome and experience love, and that will set you free. It doesn't say that. It says this. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Guys, I, I, I don't know how long I'll be the pastor here. You may kick me out very soon if I keep repeating myself over and over. But I, I, if I never tell you anything else ever again, read the word of God. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Some days you'll read it and you'll be like, I've got no idea what this means. That's okay. It's just like each day you're picking up a stone and you're placing it on top of the other one, and you're slowly building the dwelling place that God wants to come and hang out with you in. And one day, when you do that faithfully every day, when you read his word faithfully every day, one day you'll find yourself in the midst of a struggle. You'll experience the storm coming, and suddenly you'll realize that while the storm is coming, you're standing in a really safe, secure dwelling place with him on the rock, and you're okay. Storm's still howling, but you're okay. Build a dwelling for him. Build a dwelling for him.